Hey, it's me, Lily. I'm here today with you in this mini episode, and I'm going to be close reading one of my very favorite songs with you. Uh, So join me, make yourself a cup of tea, get nice and cozy, and just relax and listen to me close read this amazing song called Midair by Paul Buchanan. Uh, I have my tea with me as well. I'm drinking Earl Grey with some cream. Uh, Nothing like a good hot cup. It's a rainy day. The vibes are are right. So uh, I'll first sort of introduce the song uh, before I read the lyrics. Um, And and I first heard this song uh, in the film uh, About Time, which is one of my favorite films. Uh, it's It's got Rachel McAdams and Bill Nye and Donald Gleason and who else is in it? Margot Robbie. <laughs> Margot Robbie's in there. Uh, so lots of, you know, big stars and it's a very heartwarming film um, about a boy who finds out he can time travel. And the song, this song in particular, Midair, is played in the scene where the main character, Tim, uh, sees Mary for the first time and gets her phone number when they're sort of outside this restaurant that they've just been dining in. And I I do encourage everybody to watch the movie if you haven't seen it, Um, not just because the song's in it, but I just think you'll find it a very wholesome and heartwarming film that's very well done very well acted you know it's a story about love and family and time and loss and sorrow and about what makes our lives lovely and worth living so yeah that being said i will read the lyrics to you now this is midair by paul buchanan The buttons on your collar, the color of your hair. I think I see you everywhere. I want to live forever and watch you dancing in the air. All the lies and make-believe, the very things that one day leave. But I can see you standing in midair. The girl I want to marry upon the high trapeze, the day she fell, and hurt her knees. And only time can make you the wind that blows away the leaves. For everything that life was worth, the fallen snow, the virgin birth, yeah, I can see you standing in midair. I can see you standing in midair. So those are the lyrics with me reading them as if they're a poem. Um, And during this mini episode, I'm going to treat the lyrics as such. However, I, I really I do encourage you to listen to the song before we continue. Uh, just get your cup of tea, close your eyes, put the song on, and just let it kind of wash over you. Um, it's his vocals. It's it's a piano and his vocals. It's very a very sparse song in terms of instrumentation and vocals he sort of um speak sings them in a kind of low soft rasp 
which I think makes it feel really personal and intimate um, and private. And I think that enhances the experience of listening to the song. Uh, and I, I will I will admit that if the song is uh, played under the right circumstances, I will um, weep uncontrollably. <laughs> uh, but in a good way, like I'm shedding some weight I didn't know I was carrying. And what I love about the, the lyrics are their simplicity, which I kind of spoke on earlier um, a little bit ago about the sparseness of the instrumentation and of his vocals on the track. Um, but even just um, the descriptions we're getting right, it's not like the speaker of the poem, right, because we're treating it like a poem. Um, it's not like the speaker of the poem describes, you know, the color of the hair that they're seeing or or the way the buttons on the collar look or how the person they're observing is dressed. Um, we don't get this very detailed description of the subject of the poem. Um, is it a, a current lover or a future lover or a lover lost? Is it a platonic relationship? Is it um, a familial relationship? It's sort of up in the air. I wonder sometimes if there could even be more than one subject. Um, the subject of sort of that first part, the buttons on your collar, the color of your hair, and then later on, the subject being the girl I want to marry. I'm not sure. Could, could those be two different people, maybe? Um, in any case, um, those descriptions, the details feel so intimate. I can't quite even express or speak to what the first couple of lines do to me, like how they make me feel. The buttons on your collar, the color of your hair, I think I see you everywhere. They're so plain. Um, they're so simple but they feel so intimate. It feels like a caress. And I think that's because on some level, you have to know someone quite well or be quite close to them in proximity to notice like the buttons on their collar. Um, not so much the color of a person's hair, but like I think the song speaks just so plainly to complex emotions that I'm even having a hard time expressing. Um, it, it speaks plainly to those emotions and, and those human experiences that we all have had at one point or another. And maybe when we reflect on them, we're unable to really even grasp the, the depth of those emotions or, you know, the, the little details that hang with you from a person or a moment in time are really a crucial part of that memory that you hold of that person or that moment in time. You know, you might remember a smell or um, what the weather was like on a particular day. Um, you might remember what kind of makeup somebody had on when you went on your first date or how they did their hair or what shoes they were wearing, anything. Those very small details. Um, and the kind of nostalgia that comes with them is really profound for me <laughs> and impactful. 
um, and really gets me teary-eyed right from the start of the song. But now I kind of want to widen our scope a little bit. I want to talk about some themes. Um, and to me, this poem is clearly about um, loss. Um, and it, th- that could be a breakup. It could be um, death. And I know sometimes a breakup can feel like a death. Um, but I think that the, the poem's a commentary on grief and the way that we remember someone and live despite the loss. I think the song balances sort of reverence and sorrow. Um, it has a very reminiscent quality to it, which I think I sort of explained just a second ago. Um, so now we'll kind of kind of go line by line. It's probably going to be a bit of a mess because my thoughts are a bit of a mess. Um, but let's just start with this, with this line here. I think I see you everywhere. That hurts. <laughs> Does it not? Um, I think whether you're talking about a death or a breakup, right, we've all had had experiences where, um, you know, maybe we see a face in a crowd or we're walking down the street and we see somebody, you know, down on the corner who looks like somebody we loved, um, be it a, a partner that you broke up with or a grandparent that's passed. Um, I think we often do see these little glimpses of people we've lost just in everyday surroundings, everyday scenes. And I think there's something comforting in seeing that familiar silhouette and almost like you get to maybe feel the presence of that person again. But it's also, on the other hand, a constant reminder of the loss, right? If you, you know, lost your grandparent and then one day you're, you know, eating pancakes at a diner and you look over and you see a man, you know, sitting in a booth across from you and he looks like your grandpa, you might be like, oh, that reminds me of my grandpa. That's that's a nice thing. I like to be reminded of my grandpa. But then you're also reminded that he's no longer with you, that he's no longer alive. And so that's quite sad. And so there is this sort of balance between this sort of happiness and um, remembrance that we carry with us, but also like a, a sorrow that is maybe under the surface of things. I think the way that the poem so plainly states this experience and so plainly describes it is really striking because that admission means coming to terms with the loss. And I also um, want to talk about the lines, um, the girl I want to marry upon the high trapeze, the day she fell and hurt her knees. Only time can make you the wind that blows away the leaves. These lines, in my kind of interpretation, deal a lot with um, temporality. There's a hopefulness to it, right? The girl I, I want to marry. It's sort of looking toward the future, I suppose. Um, and then upon the high trapeze, I sort of read that as a metaphor for life. Um, Right, and a, a trapeze is a bar that, you know, hangs in the air, 
And, you know, they use it in circuses and things like that and do all sorts of acrobatic tricks. Um, but I think it points to the precariousness of life and how fragile life can be. Um, but it, it also maybe remarks that life is in some ways a kind of performance or a kind of act. Um, maybe like a dance or like a magic trick, in which case I think there is a sort of beauty to that. I think, you know, the a, a trapeze act is a, is a triumph of the body and human athleticism, and it's an act of discipline and mental fortitude, and these are kind of all things we can read into uh, in terms of what life is like. So you have that those couple of lines followed by um, the day she fell and hurt her knees, and to me that line conjures up an image of maybe a young girl with scraped knees like we've all been there when we were when we were kids you know she's this young girl still maybe learning the act of life and so in these few lines we have the image of a woman um nearing marriage and a a young child which i think disrupts our sense of time um because we're seeing both past right? Past the young girl, um, present, the speaker saying the girl I want to marry in the future. And then in the future, we're maybe even anticipating this marriage. Um, and, and that's followed by the lines, and only time can make, can make you the wind that blows away the leaves. Um, which is another line that just really hits me really hard. Um, because I think, you know, I, I've done this before and I've heard other people do this. Um, when when we're grieving uh, a loved one, we often remember them as the things we encounter in our day-to-day life, you know, as a bird at the bird feeder in your backyard, or a warm summer breeze, or the sun peeking from behind a blanket of clouds. We look at that and we say, oh, that's such and such person. Um, you know, they're giving me a sign you know, on and on. And I think that people do that regardless of their religion or their faith. I think different people of all different walks of faith participate in the in that experience where we, once somebody's gone, we personify them in different ways through the natural phenomena around us. So we're sort of like reifying our loved ones in the natural world. I think that speaks to the repeating line throughout the poem, um, I can see you standing in midair. It speaks to a kind of um, a memory. You know, you if you have the ability to conjure up this image of, of this person in midair, you know what they would look like, how tall they would be. Um, you can picture them in this sort of space that you're in, but they're not there, right? And they're not standing in midair. And I think that the whole idea of standing in midair sort of um, speaks to this in-between. Because right in the midair is neither on the ground nor really truly, you know, high up in the air. So it's a sort of in-between space. I think that that speaks to... I know the transient nature of life and 
it speaks to our need for transcendence. Um, our need to move beyond the merely physical. When you're grieving a loss, it's not always necessarily easy to subject that loss to the material universe, right? To come to terms with the fact that somebody is gone, um, or even something is gone. Um, people grieve in different ways and people grieve different things. I think that the song speaks to our, our almost instinctual desire to keep the memory of somebody alive in this way. Uh, the last little thing I want to talk about before I do a bit of etymology for you is the line about um, for everything uh, that life was worth the fallen snow the virgin birth and oh, what I like about that those couple of lines is the, the image of fallen snow is maybe a very simple pleasure in awe of nature um, it's also the pattern in a cycle right a weather cycle um it snows every winter where i live um it's this like expectation that snow will come and i think you know of course there's also the idea of purity when whenever you're dealing with like a an image of whiteness i suppose um and i also think there's a, a sort of juxtaposition of gentleness and harshness with snow because it's you know soft and when it's snowing you can kind of sit inside and look at the flakes just very gently falling from the sky and landing without a sound and it's, it's beautiful and you know of course when you're walking in it it's you know soft and fluffy um snowflakes are really beautiful but it also has a harshness right um winter brings cold and death to the living world and animals go into hibernation it's it's a period of um i guess darkness uh, for a lot of people in terms of you know seasonal depression and things like that and so you have this very tangible image of fallen snow and then you have the virgin birth which is of course um the birth of jesus um, mary the virgin virgin mary um and that is a symbol of our faith and uh, values and beliefs um the things that sort of you know the the human belief system that we work around and in, in that way it's very intangible those are intangible things that we hold and carry with us through our life. And I think those two images, like, connected in that way is really interesting. Um, and I think it illustrates this kind of balance that we seek in our lives. Uh, a balance between the tangible and intangible, a balance between our material reality and the things that we can touch and see and the things that we have to believe um, with our hearts. 
you can't rely too much on one. You have to find a balance between them. And that's, I think, sort of a huge part of being a human and navigating the world and making sense of your life and your place in this system. And so I think it's interesting the way that that's phrased within for everything that life is worth, right? It's worth the tangible and intangible. Life isn't just about our material goods. It's not about what you have, what you can touch, what you can hold. It's also about what you believe, um, your values, things like that. So I really appreciate that sentiment in this song, in this poem. And so the next thing that I want to talk about uh, as we sort of circle around into some etymology is the album cover. Um, so the album is called Midair, and so this song is the title track on the album. And the album cover, which I encourage everybody to go go ahead and look up, the album cover is sort of, it's an image of uh, a suit and a dress kind of floating in midair, if you will, and they appear to be filled out as if there was a body in them, but there's no body in them. And so it's sort of like almost ghostly, um, spectral scene. I think in a different context, it could be read as very eerie. Um, but I think if you see it, you'll know what I mean. It's not like scary or disconcerting or anything. It's actually pretty, it's quite nice. Um, and so I was looking for like a way to kind of describe that image and describe the, this, uh, song as a poem and like sort of what I've been talking about this whole time. And I stumbled across the word phantasm and I was like, Ooh, I really like that word. That's a great word. Phantasm. So of course I did some research on it and I went to the trusty um, Oxford English Dictionary and did a bit of research, and that's where I came across just a, a ton of different definitions um, and, and a couple that I want to bring our attention to really quickly. Um, most definitions refer to phantasm as uh, an illusion, um, the deceptive appearance, um, a thing or being which apparently exists but is not real, a hallucination, a vision, a figment of the imagination, a person who is not what he or she appears or claims to be, an imposter. That definition is obsolete now, but it was at one time a definition. Um, and the, the likeness of an abstract concept, a counterfeit, a sham, an inferior or false copy or semblance, it's also a rare definition. And then we have an apparition, a spirit, a ghost, a visible but incorporeal being. There's a parapsychology definition, which is the vision or perception of a person, living or dead, who is not physically present, especially one involving telepathy. Of course, you know, a mental image, 
um, from the imagination in a dream or a flight of fancy. Um, and then we have um, one that kind of drew my attention right away. And this is from philosophy. This is, this is a philosophical definition of phantasm. And it is a mental image, appearance, or representation considered as the immediate object of sense perception, as distant from the external thing itself or, in platonic thought, its underlying form, or as the means by which the mind grasps the intelligible form of an object. This is now a chiefly historical definition, but... Um, I found that really interesting, and kind of right below this definition is is another one, and it's um, one of the quotes that they use is, God is a phantasm that can fill the fantasy. And gosh, I just kind of got lost in the etymology of the word <laughs> phantasm. Um, and I wanted to bring attention to a quote, another quote that I found, um, by, is, uh, Thomas Granger, uh, and this is from a book published in 1620 called Syntagma Logicum, and the quote is, memory is a faculty of retaining well the phantasms of things. Um, I'll say it again. Memory is a faculty of retaining well the phantasms of things. And I think that that kind of addresses what I was talking about uh, in this episode, about how memory re helps us retain this image, this sense, this idea, this perception of somebody. And sometimes we can so vividly picture them and imagine them with us in midair or in the face of a stranger, but in fact, it's a false representation. They're not there, which I think sounds really depressing, but I don't mean it to be, um, because it's a, it's a beautiful thing that we're able to do that in general. Just, it's a beautiful thing that we're able to do that, like, period. And I think Grief is really, really, really complex. It's really difficult to talk about because everybody experiences it differently. Everybody copes with it differently. Um, you know, grief, I've, I've heard grief described this way in the past. It's like the waves of the ocean and you're standing on the shore and sometimes the tide will come in and the water will reach your ankles. And sometimes the tide will go out and the water won't touch you at all. And other times the waves will just sort of gently lap at your feet. And that's sort of like the ebb and flow of grief, if you will. Um, some days it's really hard. Some days it's really easy. And that ebb and flow doesn't stop after a year, or five years, or ten years, or twenty years. It just continues. Um, and we live with that, 
and we live through that and we choose to live on and to cherish the memories and hold those memories and despite our sorrow we retain well the phantasms of things. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, it's a little somber, but that's okay. Sometimes life is a little somber. Um, we'll have more mini episodes coming this month. Um, some blog posts you can look forward to. Give us some feedback. We would super appreciate it. Um, this is the first song that I've close read on the podcast that wasn't on the Battle at Cardin's Gate. So this is sort of new territory for us. And so I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, we have ideas and plans for what we're going to do once we finish um, close reading the album Battle at Gardens Gate. Um, so this is maybe a taste of what's to come. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy our talk. Um, be kind to yourself. Um, yeah. Bye.